This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. I am delighted and proud to introduce him as Academy Award winner. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... The winner, it's a tie. And any little girl who's, who's practicing their speech on the telly, you never know. Mom, I just want an Oscar. I am Katie Rich. I'm here for today's interview episode with Rebecca Ford. Hi, Katie. Rebecca, you caught up with Chai Vassarelli and Jimmy Chin, the directors of NIAD, who every time we check in about them, you're like, yeah, they're in a new place. They're doing a new Mm -hmm. Q&A. They have made the leap from documentary film to narrative filmmaking and are in a whole new world, even though they are Oscar winners already. Um, But I love that you get to keep checking in with them and see how this experience has been for them. So I'm imagining this conversation was just as rewarding. Yeah. I mean, we talked just a day before the film was going to start hitting theaters. And I'm going to say they were tired. Like they have (laughs) been all over the country with this film, you know, since uh, Telluride. And I think it's been exhausting for them. And which is sort of ironic because their whole thing is like following around the most tireless, adventurous, uh, (laughs) you know, adventurers around the world. And um, they're really, really good at that. Jimmy Chin's like climbing the Himalayas anytime he feels up to it. So um, for this to be wearing them down really says something (laughs) about what it's like to promote a movie. Um, But, uh, you know, they, they did say this release feels different for them because, you know, this is their first narrative feature. This is the first time they've directed actors and and the stakes were pretty high for them. Yeah, I love, you know, what they've talked to you about how you you know that you're stepping onto a set, you know that you're going to make this movie about this challenging person in Diana Nyad, and then suddenly you find yourself yelling through a megaphone at Annette Benning, and you're like, oh my God, how <laughs> am I supposed to tell Annette Benning what to do? Um, but I'm imagining when you guys caught up, they, you know, shared about how she and Jodie Foster kind of made this experience work for them and, you know, vice versa. Yeah, they talked a lot about how they knew they were working with two of the best in this business uh, with Jodie Foster and Annette Benning. So it was just about giving them the space and the obviously the training for Annette. She trained for a whole year to swim like Diane Nyad. And, and they created that trust with their actors, I think, which is something they also do in documentary. Um you know, rather than trying to step in and be these really overbearing directors. And it seems to have worked because I think the film is really a testament to those two performances, especially. Yeah, I haven't gotten to see Nyad yet, but I love thinking about um, Free Solo, their you know documentary film about Alex Honnold, who is this kind of amazing figure who is maddening because you're watching mm-hmm. him in this relationship where, you know, it's just like, please stop climbing these mountains and be nice to this woman. <laughs> and Diana Nyad is also a really complicated character. So the idea of them kind of taking a fictional take on another like amazing yet infuriating person, um, it's such an intriguing and, and promising combination. Yeah, they talk a lot about 
being able to show all sides of this person who wasn't perfect, um, but was still incredible in what she did. And I think they are some of the best uh, filmmakers to do that. And uh, they, I think, really pull that off again, even though they had a ton of challenges. I mean, shooting on the water and, and with a giant crew and all of this was new for them. And they, they did make it look easy. So Nyad is in theaters now and will be on Netflix in a couple of weeks. Um, but it sounds like it's worth the big screen experience while people can. Yeah, I mean, I got to see it on a big screen and I and I would recommend it if you can, especially because some of these scenes, you know, with the water are really, really impressively done when it comes to cinematography and things like that. So if you're able to, um, I'd recommend it. But it's, it'll also be on uh, Netflix November 3rd, so not too far away. Well, let's hear your conversation with the directors of Nyad, Chai Vassarelli and Jimmy Chin. I'm so excited to welcome Jimmy Chin and Chai Vassarelli to the podcast. Their film Nyad just hit theaters last week and will be on Netflix on November 3rd. Congrats to you both. You did it. You're releasing a movie. (laughs) Thank you. It's like a miracle. (laughs) Thank you. You know, you obviously released plenty of films, very successful Oscar-winning documentaries among them, but does it feel different this time around to be releasing Nyad, your first uh, narrative feature out there in the world? It certainly does feel different. I think there's just a lot of resources that go behind narrative fiction that you don't necessarily experience with documentaries. And it's interesting. It's just like the sort of press attention, the, the, the reach of it is quite different. And it definitely makes me want to be more of an activist in terms of getting docs, those, that type of attention. <laughs> but so, but it's been fun. It's, it's, this one's special, and it's been very special bringing it out to the world and watching audiences like discover Nyad. Jimmy, do you guys get nervous before release, or is this the easy part compared to making the movie? Honestly, I, I feel like I'm more self-conscious about this release just because I, I think it's, it's a new space for us. So that does feel a little bit different. But, I, I mean, that's part of the reason why we wanted to make narrative feature too because we of course make films about people who push themselves and try to find their own potential and I think we wanted to walk the walk as well and push ourselves as storytellers and filmmakers um, and grow as creatives so it's just very exciting for us. So take me back. Um, you know, we've talked a couple times before, but for listeners who may not know, when you signed on to Nyad, what form was it in at that point? Were actors attached already? Was there a script? What existed when you two said yes? So um, Nyad is the product of quite enlightened producing, where Teddy Schwartzman and Andrew Lazar had seen Free Solo and kind of put two and two together. And there existed a script that was based off of Diana's autobiography, Find a Way. And basically, we said we love the story, you know, not necessarily the script. So we worked with them and hired Julia Cox, um, the screenwriter, and we worked very closely together to rewrite the the story. And, And then Annette was attached once we had the script. And then we got very spoiled when Jodie Foster joined the team. Yeah, Annette and Jody, that's like a dream. I can't even imagine <laughs> being like, these are my lead actors in my film. Um, quite a blessing, I assume. But was it also nerve-wracking? Well, it, there were a lot of pinch-me moments. 
a lot of them. And yes, of course, it was nerve-wracking. We have so much respect for these two actors and Risa Fons, who did a beautiful job. But, you know, there's something incredible about, you know, in documentary, our job is to observe and to listen really closely. And suddenly, like, we had these three amazing creative partners who are at the top of their craft and as committed as we are to bringing these characters to life. And that felt invigorating, like empowering in, in so many different ways. Um, they're also like consummate professionals. And at least for me as a woman, it was very encouraging to have, you know, our number one and number two are both moms who have achieved a lot with their lives and they're not, they're used to our kids being around and like, you know, the mess was okay. Like the mm -hmm. personal mess, yeah. Jimmy, I asked you what kind of uh, prep you did when it came to direct, you know, approaching directing actors. And you mentioned you asked some of your acting friends about what makes a good or bad director. Can you tell me a little bit about what they told you? Yes. I mean, I think Chai and I are both big fans, but also friends with, you know, Brie Larson and Jake Gyllenhaal and Jared Leto. We just have a few friends who who are actors and incredible actors and so of course you know i said i said tell me tell me you know what i should know and they said the classic mistake of first time actors is over directing mm -hmm. talking too much and i think both chai and i've worked with world-class athletes and i think what we often do is just to kind of create the space and environment for them to perform at their best. And I think that's what we brought or hope to bring on set was to, to create the environment and the space to let Jody and Annette and Reese, you know, perform at their best. And it was really helpful feedback before we walked on set. So what did Annette and Jody ask from you both what they needed for prep? What did they tell you they would need to play these roles? So the only other narrative feature I worked on was 20 years ago where I was Mike Nichols' assistant. So I had seen a process where he rehearsed for a month, you know, and the, the screenwriter was in the room and tweaking the whole time. So we kind of operated that way. Like we, we, had, we did a lot of work with Jody and Annette on this, reading the script, working the script with Julia Cox in the room. And that was invaluable because it gave them an opportunity to give us feedback about what what they thought about their characters and how they were, you know, thinking about shaping them. And, you know, let's say like that moment when the Bonnie in the film jumps in the water, that was Jodie Foster's idea. Mm. And it's a, like, you know, it's like one of the best moments in the film. So they needed that type of prep. Um, they were really committed to doing that sort of creative intellectual work, um, as well as, you know, the, the physical training, which was a really big deal where Annette, for, you know, trained for a year to prepare for the physical demands of the role. Um, and likewise, Jody was very excited to be tan and buff, as she would mm -hmm. put it. Um, and she also trained extensively. So it was, you know, both physical as well as like work, doing the emotional work, the prep for the characters and like kind of figuring that out together. At our panel in Telluride, you said Annette is still swimming, even now? Yeah, no, Annette's still swimming. I'm, it, thanks, like, she and Warren have a very nice pool on their property <laughs> in L.A. And she uses it every day. And she's got this big, big dog, Scout, who's, like, right there next to her, like, watching her. So. Yeah. 
That's, that's pretty impressive. I mean, the the physical stuff is so incredible. Even the way Jody picks up Bonnie's mannerisms, and you, you know, I got to meet Bonnie and Telluride, and you just really, you really see it how she sort of transformed. It's pretty incredible to I mean, watch. That was part of their prep, where they spent a lot of time with the real Bonnie and Diana, and also observing their dynamic, you know, as a pair, um, which I think proved incredibly meaningful, and you see in the performances. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Review's Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. So tell me about dealing with the water of this movie, because I cannot <laughs> imagine this was easy. What did you sort of anticipate to be most challenging about that? And what ended up being the hardest part about all that? I, I mean, I think we filmed in some of the most difficult, high stakes environments in the world, from the Himalayas to being on big walls and in Yosemite and in Morocco, kind of everywhere, um, in Antarctica. And, you know, I don't think anything could have prepared us for this kind of scale of filmmaking in, in water. As they say, water is, you know, one of the most difficult environments to shoot in. Mm -hmm. When you're also trying to push the cinematography, and, and we were so fortunate to be able to work with Claudio Miranda, who's obviously a, a legend as a DP, but everything just takes three times as long. Every aspect of shooting and hair and makeup, like everything's just a lot harder when, when you are dealing with it in, in water. But I think working with Claudio was amazing. Uh, he, he'd obviously made Life of Pi, which involves some water shooting and, we just had this intention of trying to shoot swimming in a way that, you know, we'd never, hopefully people had never seen before. Uh, we really pushed the technology. Uh, we wanted to show the scope and scale of this huge endeavor and of the ocean, but we also wanted to be really intimate and bring people into the moment and make it feel very visceral. So we just employed a lot of tactics to um, to tackle it, but yeah, it was it was very challenging. But I would say the one thing we didn't anticipate was, and that's commitment to the training, because it became this secret sauce. Because she, her endurance was so formidable, we could really maximize the time we had in the tank. Because she would stay in there for six to eight hours. And she, like, she was totally fine with it. I mean, I think she worked very, very hard. And that would not have been possible had she not been so well-prepared. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. The The film also does a great job of showing all sides of Diana Nyad. You don't shy away from the pricklier parts of her personality. Tell me about that decision to make sure she was sort of this full-fledged character. 
Well, I mean, that was what we loved about this, the story. I mean, it's so rare you get to see women, especially women of a certain age, have the opportunity to be portrayed on the big screen in their full complexity and not worrying about likability, not worrying about trying to hide one's ambition or, you know, dreams and desires. That was very much our intention. And, you know, we were very lucky that Annette was so committed to that as well, where she really threw herself into playing a complex character who's not always likable. You know, and that extended to, like, both Jody and Annette were adamant that there were no touch-ups digitally to their bodies. Like, they wanted to show what a woman looks like in their 60s. Mm -hmm. um, their own comfort with their bodies was something that was incredibly, you know, impressive, especially given the pressures that women, you know, have to deal with in the world and also in Hollywood. Yeah. So, so tell me about post-production. Did you show early cuts to anyone for feedback? How did the film change in the edit in ways you may have not anticipated? Well, the magic, like there are a lot of magic things in post-production. Um, we did have time to edit this film because we were waiting for the visual effects, which was a kind of a, a long yeah. slog. So our process in docs is very similar to what we did on this film where we love screening. I love screening the film um, just because you just see with different eyes every time. And we, the process I call it is like breaking the movie. Um, it's like pushing the material as far as you can push it. And sometimes you mess up your movie, but you know you can always go back. And we were very lucky to work with Chris Tellison, who is an amazing editor. And as like intellectually curious as we are and as flexible as we are, I would say that's like kind of one of our strengths is that we're totally like malleable and love messing with things. And so... The, what we did find in post was the was the the nonfiction footage, like the archive material, like of of the real Diana and Johnny Carson, is like the sexiest, most character revealing, like piece of archive I've ever seen. And we didn't know if it would work, but Annette brought such depth to the role and such truth that somehow it allowed your brain to accept Annette as Diana as well as Diana as Diana in the same movie. And I think like that was that was cool and it was fun to kind of explore what is this idea of a true story, especially a true story in terms of women's words where people often don't believe what women say. You know, like there are a lot of different layers to it that was fun to play with and kind of felt important in some way. And I think the screening is just, you know, as Chai said, for us it's so helpful to feel the room and you know, you, you're trying different things. And I think it's kind of impossible to, to replace like being in the room and feeling the room and thinking, okay, that worked or that totally didn't work, you know, and it's, it's very useful for us. I'm, I'm fascinated because obviously you two are a married couple in real life. And not, I don't think everyone would want to work with their significant other in their professional life. And you two make it look so easy when it comes to directing like this, do you two sort of rely on each other's strengths? Are there certain things you're like, this is all, this is always going to be their jam and I'm going to focus on this. How does it work as co-directors? I think that Free Solo is the best example of that, where that film could not have been made by either one of us alone. Mm -hmm. And there's a trust that is the foundation also of our marriage that allows us to make decisions on one another's behalf where we absolutely trust, you know, I trust Jimmy's judgment and I trust in whatever decision he's made. So I think generally, like, I really like 
words and feelings and women and character stuff. And, you know, Jimmy has this illustrious, amazing background as a, as a photographer and cinematographer. And also, you know, it's rare that you get to make a film about an extreme athlete with, that's being made by an extreme athlete. Right. You know, like the authenticity of the experience is something that I certainly do not have, but he has in spades. It's also just really nice to have a partner, as Chai said, that you trust, because there there are some days, like any good partnership, where someone has to kind of pick up the ball and run with it. Mm-hmm. And then on other days, you know, the other person can pick up the ball and run with it. So it's, I, I mean, I think it's, it can be challenging for sure, but it's, you know, this is our sixth or seventh film together. We we know each other's strengths. It's not, you know, we don't really have, It's a lot of it's unstated, unspoken, because we just know. So I think, no, I think it's great. But I will say, Rebecca, it's interesting. I never thought that in my 40s, I would grow, evolve creatively and be challenged like this, or that my marriage would evolve and grow. Like, mm-hmm. you know, Jimmy and I have been, we've got like two kids, like our eldest is 10, like we've been together for a long time. And I have to say that this was kind of, it was amazing. It was like really quite astonishing that we could find a new level in our partnership that neither one of us had anticipated. And it was kind of promising in that way. Like it was exciting. You know, you you mentioned you have this family Jimmy, you still are, from what I understand, going out and, and doing your uh, adventure athletic work as well. Do you the, do two of you sort of have rules to sort of protect the family unit when your lives are so uh, all over, I guess is the word I would use to describe them? I, I think that's one of the, the big challenges yeah. um, of, our, of our careers. And I mean... We love nothing more than to spend time spend time with our kids. So when we pick a project or when we, you know, throw ourselves at something, you know, it has to be meaningful. And like a lot of people, we want to make the world a better place if we can and tell the stories that we think are important um, and can hopefully move the move the needle. So, I mean, I think that I had like... Uh, awakening on NIAD where Jimmy and I share exactly the same responsibility on set. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I had this kind of moment of like how much I care, like I stress or worry about the kids and, you know, their experiences and their education. And it was kind of, I feel like I've always been this way where I've kind of let go of the idea of what other people think or think that hope that we're organized or, you know, get what impression they have. Cause we're kind of like a hot mess. Like it's always, the kids are always around. I always, as much time as we can, we get, we can, as much time as I can get to spend with them is like the best. And, you know, like my parents live on the same block as we do in New York mm-hmm. and they've been invaluable. And, um, but it's hard. Like you work so hard your whole career and then like things start happening and then you have kids, you know, like, and who knew? But I do think it makes me better. I'm better at work. I make my decisions faster. It's clearer because um, the stakes are so clear. And I'm sure you know this as a working mom. And tell me what it was like the first time Bonnie and Diana saw the film and how you felt about them. What Did you keep them informed as you went along or did they really see like a final cut when it was done? They saw a cut before the visual effects were in and before the score was in. 
So they actually requested to watch it alone together, and they did. Um, and now Bonnie has sat through, I don't know, I'm going to say like 15, 20 screenings. She loves yeah. sitting through the movie. And we're just sad that Diana's not with us because she is, she's a member of SAG. So if Bonnie were here, she would say she aspires to be the woman on that screen, <laughs> uh, which I think, you know, is, is a very kind thing to say. Perfect. Well, we're almost out of time, but I thought I would wrap this up by asking, because I know your kids did an intro for you at Telluride, which was the most adorable thing that's probably ever happened at Telluride. But what do they think of what you two do and the life you've sort of built with them? I know they've been around you as filmmakers and athletes their whole lives, but what is, what is their, do they think you're super cool is basically what I'm uh, You know what? Honestly, they, they don't. <laughs> I think they just think it's totally normal and, you know, I think that's that's kids. Whatever experience they have growing up is just what's normal. But we try to keep them entertained and and trying to get them to lead adventurous lives. And I think they're more excited by Chinese food than anything we do, if that makes any <laughs> sense. Okay? <laughs> like, Definitely does. You know, um, and hopefully they find what we do very boring and they'll go become professors of philosophy or something, you know? <laughs> And not choose this life, but um, but it's it it does make it fun to have them around. That does it for today's episode. We'll be back on Thursday. Find us in the meantime on VanityFair.com, on Twitter and Instagram at VF Awards Insider. You can find me around the internet at Katie Rich and Rebecca Rebecca M Ford. Our editor and producer, as always, is Brett Fuchs. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. This week, with the help of Dan Adler and Olivia Nuzzi, we're going inside the media circus swirling around Donald Trump's criminal trial. People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a, a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts.